countdown. As soon as it's it's recording, as soon as it's recording, (laughs) like that's the first sound. You didn't even like wait before the counter started. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. I am one of your hosts who talks a lot online about things, uh, Crystal Williams, and I'm here with my equally amazing co-host, Lizzie and Jazzy. Oh, by the way, my pronouns are she and her, so call me that or die. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, hi. Everyone in this room is a whore. Correct. Well, yes. <laughs> Were you she, expecting pushback on that statement? No, that I just is, wanted to. No, just I, I will, no, I wanted to make an observation and make a reference to the old Hi, I'm Daisy persona for parody comics, which... Uh. No, the, that, that reference goes over my head. Okay, so to explain it, there's a bit where it... So there, basically, it was aiming to parody the entire game, but I think it only got a third of the way through. It has the first day of school in it, and mm-hmm. it's like the teacher in the game, Oroka, is just a giant asshole to everyone, so in the parody comic... It goes, oh, you go, you're going to school. You wonder what exciting adventures await you at your new high school. And then suddenly you have the teacher yelling, everyone in this room is a whore! <laughs> well, that that applies to our show. Yep. Very well. Also pronouns, Lizzie? Oh, she and he. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I know it was it, after I called everyone a whore. It was way everyone was just blown away. <laughs> uh, you you were revealing some like really private information, things we never talk about. We never. You I know. revealed the hard truths. It's like that day when I found out I was gay. What? What? Oh shit! You're gay. I would. I had no, no idea. No. I idea. had no fucking idea. <laughs> you know. It's pretty. It's pretty astounding. Yeah, I am flabbergasted. I'm scuffled. I'm speckled. Fluffed. I'm smeckledorfed. And speaking of being giant whores, um, something you can do in the bedroom and you can go see in theater is scream. Wow, that I, I'm not even mad. That was that... actually impressive. <laughs> That sure was a segue. Well, I know how to segue into things. And other okay, things. Th- now you're going too far. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. It's funny. People usually say don't stop. Crystal, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> they also say that too. Crystal. <laughs> Okay, I'm done. I'm People done sound this. that angry when you're having sex, Crystal. I think that there might be a miscommunication happening somewhere here. No, no. it's it's It usually doesn't sound nearly as angry. Oh, okay, good. Except when we're role-playing. Oh, my God. Oh my this is a God. lot of stuff we don't need to know about you, Crystal. <laughs> I just, just please, stop. Stop. <laughs> 
Stop. Stop. You, you're shut giving, up, you're up, giving me up, ammo. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Okay. In all shut seriousness, up. we are going to talk about, which we've been talking about talking about for a while, is this is the Scream spoiler ep- episode of the Gals podcast. Um, we all saw the the uh, t- 2022 theatrically released film Scream. Not to be confused with the uh, 1996 theatrically released film Scream. But you got to specify theatrically released, considering all of them are theatrically released. Well, you know, there's there's streaming now, so. True, but like Scream 2022 wasn't even streamed, so. You know, it should have been. Yeah, that way you could um, name it. That way you could. That way you could name it Stream. <laughs> That would have been funny, though. Uh, it's going to streaming in the next, like, two weeks, I believe. Oh, then then people can listen to this and watch that movie. Um, exactly. In that which, order. Yes. And uh, my opinions on the film is I really liked it. I thought it was a damn good sequel of the series. And I think, in my opinion, it is the second best in the franchise. But that is my opinion. Oh, that's a take, Crystal. My girlfriend agrees with you. Well, let me tell you something, Crystal. Let me tell you about your stupid garbage opinion. I completely agree with it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it. I thought it was really good. I liked a lot of the um, commentary it had, especially in how it relates to films nowadays, because there's a lot of different points you could make that weren't relevant when the other screen movies were coming out, but they were here. And yet it did so in a way that made it feel fresh and new, despite the fact that it was still utilizing a formula that let's be honest, isn't exactly fresh, but it was still quite, but it was, but it was still engaging with the interesting themes as well as the characters. Like I thought the characters of both old and new were pretty fantastic. Um, I actually wasn't expecting to like the new characters as much as I, as much as I did. Um, I did, um, uh i what was what was like i know i had a like i do think that there was this is spoilers so i can pretty much say whatever yes, at this you can point, say whatever right? you want yes i thought that i thought the uh billy loomis ghost was fucking dumb and it kind of brought down a lot of scenes that he was in but other than that i thought it was great it's probably again i, I agree it's probably my second favorite of the films with the first one beating it okay the opinion everyone's waiting on. What are you uh, talking about? You're never obsessed with the series. No, I've never talked about these movies ever anywhere at all. Nope. Never, not once. Um, I don't think it's my. I still think I like Scream Four more than this one. Mhm. Mhm. Um, that being said, I thought that this new one. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really great. I really loved the new characters. I loved the way they utilized the old characters. Um. I, I agree that I think it, it the commentary it had for uh, the nature of film and fandom and film fans in 2020, 2022 now, um, is just where it was fantastic. It was very of the time. It was per- exactly what we needed. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, bad, the bad guy of this film was the quartering and i thought that that was just fantastic i thought that that was perfect can i just say really quick that i love the fact that when they were watching a youtube review of the of stab eight directed by ryan johnson which was my favorite fucking joke in the entire thing the review 
the the two act the two people who were playing the angry reviewers were um were James A. Janice and his now wife Chelsea who do the who run the YouTube channel Dead Meat and that's funny to me because he's pl- he's playing a very negative clickbaity critic and James A. Janice is one of the nicest people is one of the nicest people ever and he has one of the friendliest like online personas you will ever fucking see and he talks about fucking slasher movies it's awesome it is awesome I thought that w- it was very cute and. It- and it was a good nod to show that it's like listen to make very clear who what kind like what kind of fans the franchise is calling out. It's not calling out people like them. It's not mad at you for being a fan of this because I think that um, a less tactfully made movie it could have just come across as hating on any f- variation of this of the scream or slasher fandom as it were. Right. And it really wasn't doing that. That really helped make the commentary as pointed as possible. Um, right. And, and I have I think, to disagree and, and, with you, though, Jazzy, about about the, the Skeet Ulrich cameo. I thought it was great. And I was just one, if it was just one cameo, that'd be one thing. But he was so intrusive to every scene he was in. And I thought the I thought the CGI to make him look younger was fucking horrendous. By the like for for a movie with such good practical gore effects, the CG used to make to make um, Skeet Ulrich look like he did back in the original Scream looked fucking awful. Like I, I'm sorry, everything. Like, I thought it was fine too. If this, it's if okay. This, if this was just a cameo, it'd be fine. But the problem is, he's a recurring character. No, I thought it worked well, and I what I was most impressed by because I I saw this movie opening night, right? I jumped in my seat. I had no idea that that was happening. Yeah, I was. I had no idea. That they were yeah, the they first, did such a good job keeping this under wraps. Yeah, the first scene with him was great. I liked it a lot, and it was. An interesting idea, but again, I just thought as it went on, he kept appearing, got more and more ridiculous, and I thought his last scene was genuinely awful. Like, I was like, you're gonna have him point to the fucking weapon. I don't... I think it was more of a representation of her subconscious remembering that she dropped the knife, that the knife was dropped. Then have her realize she dropped the knife. Don't have Ghosty Boy appear. Don't have Ghosty Boy looking as ridiculous as fucking Ghost Leary in the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Do do it for her. I dis I disagree. I think that worked really. I, think I, I, I just disagree. I think this is a point where Yeah, I think this was a point of of disagreement, and that's fine because we, overall we still really like the movie. Yeah. I will say there is something that I noticed, but I'm sure you've noticed or. Maybe didn't, but um, with that like whole fake movie YouTube thing that happened in the movie, did you see that one of the side videos? It was a confirmation of one of the characters from Scream Four survived. Yeah, I saw that. I know that was cool too. Like and also, very, very good. And also, there was a YouTube video on the sidebar saying, "Oh, um, is uh, is uh, Stu still alive?" <laughs> it's it's uh. Loving references to the way people to to fan discourse that is healthy, you know. <laughs> right. Like, and again, I like a lot of the references and commentary. None of it is subtle in the slightest, but I don't go to a scream movie for subtlety. No, subtlety is bullshit. No. Subtlety <laughs> is bullshit. Right. It's and that's like, definitely screams 
And it, I mean, again, you have a, you have a movie, an eighth movie in a famous franchise that is reviled by a good chunk of the fandom that was directed by Ryan Johnson. Oh, God, I wonder what movie they're actually talking about. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. And can I, I also, I just need to um, commentate on another uh, fun, fun little aspect about, about Richie, the film's killer the film's main ghost face this this time around um and how the film they, like they, they don't harp on it too much but he groomed a teenage girl yeah <laughs> on message on, on 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 the internet this adult man groomed this teenage girl yeah and that's just such a like yeah that is what the fuck a lot of these dudes are doing yeah Ah, fuck yeah. Also, can we agree that even though it was never outright stated and apparently only in an earlier draft, the killer girl and the one who was attacked at the beginning totally had a thing going on at one point? Oh, fuck yeah. Listen, listen, listen. When I was watching this movie for the first time, every (laughs) single time two women were on screen together, I was leaning over to my girlfriend and being like, lesbians. Because I knew one of them was at least one of the... First of all, Mindy confirmed gay she was making yeah. out with another girl when oh yeah i fucking and was, i fucking i fucking love mindy she's she was probably my favorite character mindy mindy was great um but also absolutely from the way and i understand why but the way amber and uh the sister were interacting in the hospital it was very much this like there is sexual tension <laughs> Mm-hmm. There is sexual tension between these two people, and then there was also sexual tension between Mindy and Amber in that one scene in the basement. Like every single time two women had a scene together in this movie, from that friend group, I was straight up just like, "These, this is gay." Oh, one hundred percent. These people have all fucked each other. Like I refuse <laughs> to believe otherwise. <laughs> Also, one interesting thing about this movie that I was really happy to see when I saw the credits, this is the first Scream movie where Roger Jackson was given proper oh, credit yes. as the voice of Go- as the voice of Ghostface. I, and, same. And I you know what? It. And you know what? After the fucking bullshit with that new Sonic poster not credit not having giving Colleen Oshinesi top billing as Tails, I needed some respect for voice actors right now, so um, that made no. me so happy. He finally got like a proper, a proper character. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I was so happy. I was like fucking, fucking good, because this franchise is not Scream is not Scream without Roger Jackson. It's He's just been consistently not. giving incredible performances in every film. In every single film, yeah. it's one of my biggest gripes with three is that I fucking hate the voice changing thing because in part, first of all, oh, yeah. it's, it's stupid and I hate it, but also, also it just gives, it gave Roger Jackson less to do. Yeah. And it's just another thing that makes three the least interesting movie in the franchise. I, I will say watching three again after, like I, I, I told you and I told on the show that before I saw the new one, I, I had spent the entire week going through the previous films just to catch myself up on, like, the quality of them. Because um, it, it had been a while for some of them. And I will say that while I still think 3 is definitely the weakest by far, um, and also tactically a bad movie, it's the one that made me laugh the most. Honestly, it was just so stupid at times. 
But I completely agree with you that that whole using different voices stuff, while a decent enough concept for a horror movie, it just takes away from him. And I want to hear more of him. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Jazzy, you've, you've seen all of them, right? Yeah, I but I don't really remember Scream 3, if I'm being honest. It's, 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 the, it's just it's the least interesting movie. And this is what I think Scream 3 gets um, a slightly bad rap in that it's not as bad as people make it out to be, but it right, is for by sure. far and away. By far and away, the worst movie in this. Look, I I refuse to go. I refuse to go back and rewatch it because I have. I I think I've said this before on podcast that Aaron Kruger is the worst <laughs> fucking screenwriter still working right now. Like bar mm-hmm. none, I, he is. I like aside from you can maybe, t- you can tell that it has a different writer. Yeah. It's aside like you maybe, feel it. Yeah. Aside from maybe The Ring, which I still need to watch, I don't think Aaron Kruger's written a good movie. He's written Scream Three. He's written um, Transformers 2 and 3, which were awful. I mean, all of them are, but those were especially awful. Um, he wrote the Ghost in the Shell remake. Oh, the God. one the one where Scarlett Johansson was revealed to be Asian the whole time. And he wrote the Dumbo remake, which was really fucking awful. <laughs> I can't believe um, you had people bending over backwards. Sorry. I don't want to get on the Ghost in the Shell tangent. I just was annoyed. Okay. They okay. were just, they were just, yeah. Okay. I mean, just, go, just speaking, go back speaking to of, the, of the screenwriters. Um, so the first time I watched this, um, I had trouble catching what the sister was watching in the hospital. I was like, I don't know what movie that is. Um, and it wasn't until the second viewing that I realized she was watching fucking Dawson's Creek. <laughs> that's amazing which for anyone who doesn't know Dawson's Creek was created um, by Kevin Williamson who was of course the screenwriter <laughs> for Screams 1, 2, and 4 I didn't catch that, that's awesome <laughs> uh, And <laughs> I mean he's the creator of the franchise really oh, yeah. also, also apparently one. I just found this out, one of the writers on um, one of the writers on screen yo wait, hold on what is Wait, is this right? I guess um, one of the writers for the new Scream also did some uh, story treatment on um, the upcoming Transformers movie, Rise of Beast, which for the first time I'm actually looking for, forward to a Transformers movie since that one's just following Bumblebee and ignoring the rest. So I love these screenwriters. For the record, the, the writing directing team, I'm blinked on their names and I feel bad about that. But I the writing right director team. It's, um, it's, uh, oh. it's uh, Matt Open and Tyler Gillette. Direct, yeah. Those were the directors. Directors, uh, which they did they not write it? I thought they were no. the, also the screenwriters. Was my no the writers uh, were Guy Busick and James Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah, I did remember hearing that James Vanderbilt was involved. Um, they're just a great creative team. They're the people who did Ready or Not, which is which is fantastic. Phenomenal. Yeah, apparently I seen it. Yeah, apparently Guy Busick is writing the a new Final Destination movie, which that should be fascinating. Mm. Oh, a Final Cause... Destination movie? Yeah, there he's doing the sixth one, and huh. I've never considered myself a huge Final Destination fan, but if there's kind of a similar treatment to that franchise as there was for this from that they got that they did for this new Scream, I might actually be interested in checking it out. Oh, Guy Busick wrote on Castle Rock. That's interesting. 
Okay. I did not know that because I, I watched Castle Rock as well, which I liked. Sorry, that's the uh, that's the Hulu um, Stephen King show. Um, um, I also, sorry, I just because want to stay on screen for another minute. Um, I, I also was a big fan, big big fan. They continued the um, the theme of this franchise that I'm always constantly harping on. I don't know if not everyone seems to notice this somehow, some way, which is that in every single Scream movie, at least one of the killers has some sort of romantic and or sexual relationship with at least one person that he kills. And every right. single one. <laughs> That's true. Uh, because these are fundamentally a franchise about, this is fundamentally a franchise about, like, you know, uh, women, a, woman he, a woman's journey in healing from her toxic and abusive boyfriend through hmm. Sidney Prescott. That's my whole thing. That's my always been my biggest takeaway on the screen franchise is that that's what these movies are about um so this is definitely the movie that ha- features the least of Sidney Prescott yes I know um that. which didn't surprise me and I think within this particular narrative it was it's that's fine Mm-hmm. Um, she is married and she has babies, and I was so happy about that because Sydney Prescott deserves to be married and have babies. <laughs> she deserves it. She deserves to be living the good, happy life. My favorite final girl, my angel. She deserves it. Um, oh, I will say, <laughs> rest in peace to Dewey. Who? They want. They made him. They made him Han Solo for this one. So. No, I'm. I'm. I'm saying that. I. Th- I think that. <laughs> that. It was. It was bound to happen at some point for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying when he was introduced, yeah. I was getting Force Awakens Han yeah, Solo vibe. Sure. And when I realized that, I was like, Oh shit, Dewey's gonna fucking die, isn't he? So oh, real quick, it was heartbreaking I mean, to be honest. Yeah, it was. It was. I. Oh, I cried in the movie theater, but I knew it was gonna happen. Here's the thing. The moment I was watching this scene in the hospital play out. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. I, I was it. like, Dewey's going to die. Not even when he decided to stay behind. Like, everyone knew Dewey was going to die. When no, he I knew that. I knew that elevator. from the fucking trailer. <laughs> from the moment, the moment that, Dewey, that, that Dewey, that Sam and Dewey both came out of the elevator, I was like, Dewey's going to die. Yeah. Dewey is going um, to die. He's not making it out of this scene. First of all, someone has to die in this scene, and it's not going to be any of the new characters. So, <laughs> but second of all, like Dewey's, Dewey's not making it out of this, and I was very distraught. Ugh. Actually, there was one bit where I was... So I want to talk about something that happened during the beginning of this movie that I was freaking out that I, was, that I accidentally predicted something was going to happen. Okay. So... So you have the beginning of the movie, which is the standard cold open for any Scream movie. Someone's mm-hmm. being called, stalked by Ghostface, going to be killed. And as I was watching this, there was a part of my mind thinking, it's like, you know, we've had four other movies where they began the same way. I'd actually be kind of interested if the person who's attacked at the beginning, and keep it, these, these were my thoughts exactly, I'm not bullshitting. I genuinely thought it'd be so interesting if the person who's attacked at the beginning survived. And ends up being part of the actual movie, movie proper. And guess what fucking happened? I was so goddamn happy. Yeah, I, I like that too. I thought it was unique spin it on made, that. It made for um, a different setup. 
right like, a different was, impetus for the plot that made it a little bit more character motivated right i was so i was actually so happy that like a kind of observation that i made and something that i actually wanted to happen actually came true like i wouldn't have given the film shit if there if it still had the standard scream opening where ghostface stalks lady lady die but i i, I did like the fact that we finally got one who survived it, it was interesting yeah for okay. sure um i know there's uh been confirmed that they're going to make scream six Yep. Following this, that's been greenlit. Um, and my thoughts on that are very much like. <laughs> they're they're complicated. They're complicated because on the one hand, I'm like, there's a part of me that's just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> More Scream, I'm so excited. Um, on the other hand, first of all, I think that part of the reason why Scream 4 and Scream 5 managed to be as like real great sequels as they are is because they have these like 10 year gaps in That's between true. them because they get to allows, comment on the individual trends yeah, of the it time it allows it to to really comment on on new things um and it gives the franchise a lot of time to breathe that i think makes for a help just just helps make such fertile ground for these sequels to have been written and made right um mm-hmm. and my my other thing is that like I feel if they're making Scream 6, like, Sam is going to be the new protagonist. And as much as I love Sam in this movie, I am not a huge, like, I'm not a huge fan of the prospect of her replacing Sydney as the, like, primary protagonist of the franchise. As you a want whole. more Sydney. Yeah. Well, it's because Sydney, like, a big thing that makes Scream what it is and special and interesting and unique is that it's a slasher franchise defined by its continuing hero rather than its continuous villain. Like, yeah, it's always Ghostface, but you come back to see Scream for, like, you come back for Sydney and Gale and, and Dewey, RIP. Right. But, like, I, I saw you, t- you, I saw a com- Twitter conversation. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh. and, the other the other thing is that by making it Sam and I have no issue with the plot point about Sam being Billy's daughter. I thought that was great. Like I said, I love Skeetle Rich's cameos in this movie. Like I I thought that was great. But there's also a part of me that like at that point, what what's happening now is the legacy of the first killer becomes the focus of the franchise over Sydney's legacy, and I don't love that. As a narr- just just as a thematic direction for the franchise, I don't love. I feel like it'd be more interesting if they gave this movie time to stew before going in I, for another. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I... Because again, what made this what made this one feel so fresh is that it had new shit to talk about. Exactly. Like the the climate of film and fan culture and everything is totally different than it was when Scream Four was made. And that's part of why Scream, and that's also why Scream 4 was so good, is because it was so radically different 15 years removed from the first one and 10 years removed from the third one. Like, you you have new shit to talk about. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like Scream's just one of those franchises where if you want to continue it, you just gotta be patient. You gotta... 
but I get why they're not. I mean, this this movie this movie made bank. <laughs> like it made it, way more money than I think anyone expected it to for a January right. for a horror movie being released in January. I don't think it, anyone expected this to make that it, much money. It made over 130 million dollars on a 24 million budget. That's bang. That's that's huge, especially during COVID. Yeah, it's COVID in, in January. <laughs> It's very in the tradition of the first Scream. The first Scream also had a micro budget and made way more money than anyone expected it to. But that's what happens when you give something like this to a talented uh, like team of writers and directors. You know what I mean? Like, like Ready or Not proved that they could do this. Like, more so than anything, you know? Like, so you just have to have good to talent behind it like don't get me wrong if if they're rushing to do a six movie uh, i'm interested and i will be excited to watch it most definitely i just I, think it'd be more beneficial if they just wait a bit i care enough about the characters you know to be interested for sure yeah but i mean i'll say in i'll say in regard to this film when it came to watching it it was an honor <laughs> that was simultaneously like great and also like and depressing. also painful yeah <laughs> yeah at least they gave they gave they him, a, gave good him a good good fucking death yeah oh, absolutely. dewey went out the way dewey deserved to go out and i'm As not gonna be yeah and i'm not gonna be mad about that oh no i this can was... be sad but i'm not angry yeah I, I, I compare, I say he's the force awakens han solo in this movie but i'll be honest i kind of preferred his death to han solo's <laughs> I like both. But yeah, they, I, don't get me wrong. I like Han Solo's death. I actually do. I know that's sacrilege to com- to to praise any aspect of the Star Wars sequels, but I did like his death. So. I also also for Wes, which every single time, like in the oh, during yeah. the party scene, that, that had me so that had me a chokehold. Yeah. Well, first of all, my girlfriend leaned over to me and she was so scared. She was like, "Oh, right before um, the character of Wes died." And I looked at her and I was like, did you think that the character that they named after Wes Craven wasn't going to have one of the, wasn't going to have a bomb ass fucking kill scene? Oh yeah, that was, uh, that was the guy played by the uh, 13 Reasons Why kid. Like that, like yeah. that was, that was like the biggest thing. I was like, when I saw him, I was like, oh fuck, it's the 13 Reasons Why kid. I know he's in other stuff. He's a talented actor and I shouldn't. And I'm not going to beg for someone's career to die over a horrible project, but goddamn, when I saw him, I just got, there was a part of me that, like, for a split second just went, <gasps> It was, first of all, they gave him one of, one of, what I think is was one of the coolest uh, deaths in the franchise, honestly, the way the knife oh, went into his neck, that was great. Um, and It was also, actually, like, kind of depressing death, too, because it's just, like, his mom's know. already dead out. Like, he seemed like such a, like comparatively, he seemed like a good kid. You know, like he did seem like a good kid. There was, was there shame. was no like, there was no malice in him. He was just like, I'm just, just enjoying my time at home. And then of course that gets ruined. <laughs> but that that allowed that also allowed them to sneak to to sneak in all of the the four west lines and and party balloons and signs and the cake and I was like this makes my heart so happy. I think you mentioned earlier that you said like you said that the film takes aim at the toxicity side of fandom 
not necessarily the fans. And that makes sense considering the um the team behind it are fans. You know what I mean? The like team, the team behind it very clearly like this was what Nev Campbell said um when she first announced that she was agreeing to come back. Um, is that when she talked to the director, she was like, I could tell that they loved and appreciated and respected Wes and his work and his vision. And, and that's what made me decide I was willing to come back was that I knew that the franchise was in hands of people who were going to carry on Wes Craven's legacy because Wes and Nev Campbell, Wes Craven and Nev Campbell were very, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, as he was with honestly a lot of his act, a lot of his leading ladies, like Wes Craven was reportedly like just a very sweet and gentle man and a wonderful director to work with. Um, and so listening to the way Neff Campbell described it, des- described them, I was like, yeah, good, good. Is that it just, it just very much sounds like they, um, they love Wes Craven probably as much as I do. So it, it does warm, warm the heart that that one of the the most the one of the biggest pioneer of horror film directing directing direct one of the most famous directors of all time just apparently happened to be also an incredibly sweet person that's kind of it, a nice thought it makes me happy <laughs> it, it makes me happy that i have this one yeah <laughs> this one white man <laughs> this one straight white man yeah <laughs> the one white one straight white man i can <laughs> Um, also, uh, before we move on to this, I actually, I do like, I like Jack Quaid. I like that he turned out to be the, the villain. I also think he's a great actor. I think he's great, great in the boys and also Star Trek Lower Decks, which I'm watching right now, but. I love Jack Quaid. I was super excited when I saw that he was cast. And the very first thing I said when I saw that he got cast in the movie is I was like, I hope he's the killer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um. He got a good death too. Mm-hmm. They both, the both villains got 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 good deaths. Got good oh, kills. Absolutely. It was actually his death was pretty brutal. It was. <laughs> <laughs> both of them were brutal. That's true. The teenage girl but got burnt alive. Right. First, first of all, first she had a glass bottle of hand sanitizer smashed into her eyes, and then she caught fire. <laughs> Uh, that was a that was <laughs> I think my favorite way for a ghost face to go out since since Stu getting the TV on his head. Like I loved it. <laughs> and it was great. Oh. Uh, so overall I'm I'm so happy that we all actually really enjoyed oh. this. Yeah. Oh, also one more thing. Can I just say when Amber sure. revealed herself to be the killer just by shooting that one girl in the face, I I audibly let out, "Oh shit!" in the middle of that theater. <laughs> <laughs> just because it caught me, like it yeah, it was me. pretty surprising. You weren't expecting them to drop it like that. You were right, expecting right. them I to, had, like, to build had, on it for just a little longer. I had longer. a feeling she was the killer, but just the way they just bam did it, it was like just caught me off guard. Like I had a feeling she was one of the killers, but that, but but I wasn't expecting them to drop it like that, and that was amazing. Yeah, no, I I agree. <laughs> um, so scream, scream five. Scream. I still, I'm five. still sad. I'm it's calling not, it scream five. I'm still I'm sad. Gonna... It's not called five cream, but. <laughs> But in conversation, everyone's going to call it Scream 5. 
Right. Like, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it five cream because people are gonna give me weird looks and I'm fucking ready. <laughs> Good. How it feels to use five cream. <laughs> it feels very meta. <laughs> very meta with a side with a side of fuck Star Wars. <laughs> well, fuck toxic Star Wars fandom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So. So to move on from that, I cause I've been causing a bit of Twitter discourse. <laughs> Oh, same here. But let's 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 hear about your discourse. So as you guys know, I did an entire marathon of Avatar: Last Airbender. I watched all 61 episodes, and I had nothing but high praise for it. I did a poll asking if people wanted me to look at Korra, and I put two options for yes because I knew it was a series that had pretty mixed reactions among the fandom, and it was overwhelmingly yes. But the choice of why was a little split, leaning more towards positive. Morning, I mean leaning more towards, I like the series and I'm curious what you think. Though there was still a good sizable chunk of, I hate this fucking thing, I want to see you tear it apart. <laughs> so, I got through season one of Korra. I don't like it. <laughs> I really, really don't fucking like it. And I thought I was safe saying that, considering from what I could tell, the first two seasons are generally not seen that positively. And yet, and yet I got so much shit for saying I didn't like the first season of Korra. It was so weird. Like I would never give you shit. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't do that. But I do like the show from season one, so but yeah. My problem I do I just don't you, you don't deserve to get hate for that. Yeah, though. And, and here's the thing, a lot of people looked at the tips, because I've been ranking, because I did the same thing with Avatar, but I've been watching and putting them in a tier, each episode in a tier list on um, Tier Maker, and um, season one had a, it was like half F rank episodes, I really didn't like a lot of these episodes, and I think a lot of people took a look at that tier list and thought I was just hating on it for the sake of it, when in the thread, I actually felt like I was giving, I gave a rather nuanced take on why the series really bothered me. This season, I should say. Because I'm on season two, and I'll say season two started off good, but oh shit. <laughs> oh no. I'm not going to like this one either. <laughs> but anyway, season one, like I gave, like to give my brief thoughts on season one, it started off fine with the first episode, but it lacked focus. It kept, <coughs> it want, like it kept going between this plot involving this, these new villains called the Equalist, but also having this stupid sports game that has rules I still can't comprehend, and I'm convinced they made up as they went along. Um, but also the fact that even the Equalist, which is arguably the more interesting plot, is not good because it has a very negative view on groups focused on social on social justice, like. So, if you don't know, the Equalists in Korra are basically this group this group of non-benders who believe that elemental bending, which has always been a thing in Avatar from the de- from the word go, is evil. It is inherently evil. It causes a lot of problems. It needs to stop. So this guy Amon, the leader, voiced by voiced undeservingly well by Steve Bloom, because <laughs> this character sucks. <laughs> um, but Amon. 
basically has the ability to take away people's bending. And initially I was kind of interested because in the finale of the original Avatar, that's what Aang did to Ozai to stop him. So it was so I was kind of interested to say, oh, okay, so they're using the thing that solved the problem at the end of the first series and makes it the threat. That's interesting. Nope. Oh, God, no. <laughs> That's not what they do. <laughs> like, and I feel like they could have raised some interesting issues with this conflict between benders and non-benders. Like, they, like the whole point of the Equalist is that benders are higher privileged. Benders, like, oppress non-benders. And that'd be interesting if we ever saw something like that, but we don't because the series just kind of go, because literally... Amon's source for everything he says is, dude, trust me. Because Amon, well, Amon fucking sucks. Well, because you, you, you get this. The problem is that you start to, they start to display um, police discrimination against non-benders after the terrorist already exists. Right, right. And if, like if, in if, response to the terrorist, I'm like, you needed to show this to us beforehand for me to believe that it was a legitimate grievance. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've been watching Korra with friends, and I remember when we got to that scene, my first initial, like, without even thinking, I just went, oh, now they show non-bender discrimination. And I remember the responses I got to this particular criticism. There was one response I got, which fucking drove me up a wall. I won't say the name, and I will say no offense, no ill will to the person who gave this response. I just think this was not good. <laughs> they basically said, well, you have TERFs in the real world who do the same shit by saying trans people are dangerous with no, with no evidence. And I'm like, yes, but you can't, yes, but benders are hardly allegorical to trans people. Come on now. <laughs> well, there is bending involved, so. Yeah, but like, we do, I'm sorry, I, mean, I had to make the joke. Keep right. going. <laughs> but, like, benders still have, like, a position of power in this world. Like, it, like, even though it doesn't show any discrimination between benders and non-benders, it does show that benders do have this overwhelming presence in this council, which is pretty much dissolved as soon as season one's over. So, so clearly the um, the supposed issues were, pretty, were a pretty easy fix, I guess, which, okay. <laughs> Way to make the villain's entire point moot. Not that you didn't do it already, but well, another thing I hate is that you have a man who has. I'm sorry that 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 sentence could be. No. Anyway, it's, it's it's funny to me. No, I'm not trying to make a sexual joke on that. I'm just saying that like how how I tease you about like hating things, and I don't actually mean it. And you're just like, oh, and another thing I hate is. <laughs> well, it's like. Well, the concept of like a, a sort of bender supremacy movement um, underlying uh, like underpinning a lot of this modernist version of avatar society that makes sense I totally see how in like as a theory like I totally see how that could exist once you've got this the, the kind of what representative republic I guess mm-hmm that they have um, in, in the society that they set up in Korra. Like, I totally see how Amon's grievance is a thing that could exist in this universe. They just didn't fucking set it up. Right. It's and not actually there. One thing I noticed when seeing the staff credits at the end of each episode of Korra is that, as well as Avatar, is I noticed right away that there was a notable name from Avatar Last Airbender 
that was missing from Korra. And that was the head writer, Aaron, ha- um, Aaron Hazas. Hey, hey, Hayas, I think his name. I, I could be pronouncing the name entirely wrong, and I apologize. I'll just say Aaron for the sake of convenience. Aaron was the head writer on all 61 episodes of Avatar, and he did not work on Korra for whatever reason. Like, I, I even looked it up to see if he even comes back in future seasons. He doesn't. Um, And I kind want, watching Korra made me realize that Mike and Brian, the original creators, have good ideas they just have trouble putting them to paper. Like, you have these interesting concepts, but you are not fully exploring them. And I think it's a similar issue to Stephen Moffat, where it's like, you have a good idea, but you need other writers to realize it, because right. you don't have the skill to bring this to fruition properly. Right, and my issue with the entire plot of the Equalist and everything would be entirely fine if I liked the main characters. I don't like the main characters. I I didn't find Korra very interesting. Like I, I she started interesting. I'll say that she was very. I liked the fact that she was a more headstrong, like reckless avatar compared to Aang. I, I like that idea. Um. The problem is, a few episodes in, she becomes awful. It it particularly starts when she uses, when she tries getting into a relationship with interesting as bread Mako. <laughs> wow. Way to name the worst character after a dead actor, guys. Props. Listen. Listen. <laughs> I know now, I feel like I've said this on this, even on this podcast before, I know now how the love triangle on that show ends. And it's great and everything. But at the time when I was watching this show at like 14 when it aired, I fucking hated it. Talk, I fucking just... hated this stupid love triangle because I hate, 90% of the time I hate love triangles because 90% of the right. time the turnout is going to be obvious and it's just, wa- you're wasting my time. Mm-hmm. I'm not invested in this. Uh, it's forced conflict. You're wasting my time. No, 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 no. I know it's, who's... It's awful, be- it's awful because Cora wants... So Cora wants to go after this guy's fucking angsty, boring as shit cock. <laughs> and when he, when she, when she, he's in a relationship with another lady who I'm aware that Cora gets with at the end of the series, because apparently there's one scene where they stare at each other at the end. Wait, and this is apparently the most progressive thing ever, according to every fan. I'm, I have, I'm going to have shit to say about this. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> it's to be fair. That was a lot <laughs> of the time. They fought for that. Stare. They fought for that. The oh, wow. To fight oh, wow. Oh, wow. Two straight guys fought for under a minute of staring at each other. I feel so represented. I feel the, so represented compared to literally ever. The network wouldn't let ever- them do anything else. The network wouldn't let them do anything else. That's not their fault. No, they, I, from, what from what I'm them. aware, I'm going to disagree. From what I've seen, it's a per- it was a last-minute decision, but we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> Like I'm so like I'm sorry if I'm not entirely advent- invested by 30 seconds of two women staring at each other and but and a scene and a flaccid scene done by by two straight dudes being used as a being used as a benchmark for actual queer representation made by actual queer people but I have a lot of bitterness towards Cora in this regard I'm sorry <laughs> I don't think wasn't the last episode written by a woman. Well, I guess we'll see, but I like I don't know. I'll get to this when we get to it. I might have an entirely different opinion, but from 
my general understanding, I have a lot of issues with how highly this one scene is held in regard to actual queer representation. So, like, I have a lot of issues with it, and I think it's to the point where I'd argue it's insulting to actual queer writers. So, like, I think it's insulting to queer to queer people who work in animation who actually get their representation on screen and had to fight for that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'll get to that when I get to it. But, okay, so my problem with Korra as a character, going way back to that, <laughs> is you have, her going at, you have her going after trying to convince this boring motherfucker to end what is a perfectly happy relationship with this other girl, which, boo on her. It's like, look, he's not into you. Get over it. And she's so sad about it that he go that she pretty much uses Bolin, who did nothing fucking wrong. And in fact, I'll say out of the four mains, Bolin is probably my favorite on the grounds that he's actually a nice person. I do like Bolin too. Bolin was so sweet, and he deserved significantly better this entire show. <laughs> That's right. True. I'm here. I'm hearing this doesn't end with season one and from what i've seen of season two oh it does not in fact some of the writing decisions for bolin in season two i fucking hate but i'll get to that one no I'll... same because listen they tried so hard to make mako the new zuko and i'm like you can't astroturf a zuko speaking of zuko one and one, <laughs> one admittedly small annoyance i have with one of the characters is they have a new character named general iroh who's just voiced by dante bosco again and literally the only reason he voices this character is because Dante Bosco is arguably the most popular cast member from Avatar Last Airbender. But his voice does not fit this new character at all. Like, I see this burly general character and you have Dante Bosco. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to Dante Bosco. This was not his fault at all. But you have fucking Dante Bosco's voice. 16, 16 year old voice this man is well into adulthood and he still sounds like and he still sounds like a teenager and i'm not meaning that as an insult i'm sure the same thing will happen to me but i'm sure this i'm sure yeah i'm sure i'm almost certain i'm in the same boat but y you get what i mean right where the yeah this voice and this character do not match it was a stunt casting decision that didn't work right um but yeah i don't like most of the characters i think cora was very unlikable, which is funny because every dude bro who commented on this series said she was a Mary Sue, which one, that's bad criticism. Two, even if I agreed, even if I agree, even if I didn't think it was, it's just untrue to what the problem is with this character. Um, Mako was horrible and I hated every minute he was on screen. And Asami only exists. Asami gets more interesting in the later seasons. Um, in term, also, also, while I like Tenzin and J.K. Simmons' voice performance as him, I fucking hate his children, particularly Milo. <laughs> like, why this character was made, I don't know. Like, he had potential to not exist. They just didn't want to take that potential. Um, I don't know. Tenzin, again, is a lot more interesting in the later seasons when we get to spend a lot of time with um, Kaya and Bumi, mm -hmm. who are his siblings. You get... I'm a, I'm a big fan of the way... That, like, this is the stuff I liked about Korra, right? It's mostly the other stuff when it comes to the other characters. Um, because you get a lot into um, the, imp, like the, the, 
the capacity in which Aang wasn't perfect. Right. I like that oh. was made Aang and 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 Katara like weren't perfect parents, and I that created oh. this really interesting complex sibling dynamic that I always thought uh-huh. was really really. I'll get to that cool. later. I'm going to say short version. I've seen some of that already in season two. I'll say my short version opinion on that right now is it's an interesting idea, but holy crap, the execution. <laughs> it's bad. Especially on the part of it feels like I'll say this. It feels like season two added the detail that Ang was a bad father because the writers were bitter that people weren't totally into Korra as a character. <laughs> so they pulled the typical bad writing um, strategy of make character they prefer suck. So. I am, I, I, I don't have too much to add to this because I'm trying to remember everything and it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I got to say though, the, even if season one of Korra was really good, the last two episodes are so fucking bad. It would have ruined it. Like, Oh my God. What were these last two episodes did not have any thought put into them. Like you had you had fucking Amon's backstory, which oh, you turned him from a non-bender who discovered the secret to getting rid of bending to oh no, he's actually a bloodbender. That's like he uses bloodbending to stop people from to take away people's bending abilities, which makes no fucking sense when you consider how bending has always worked in the series, but whatever. We're but whatever, we're in a rush. But also just make him a giant hypocrite and take away any intrigue the man ever had. Like, I don't know. Like, it's so weird because I was hoping it was energy bending because at least then it, it again, it would take something that was served a great good at the end of the previous show and use it for evil. But then you just revealed that it was something that was always portrayed as evil. Bloodbending has always been seen as a bad thing because it is so. Well, it's also, it's this thing of just like, oh no, Amon didn't have any real grievances. He was just angry and petty. Right, like. This whole time. Uh-huh. We don't and have to, we don't have to address any sy- potential systemic problems in our society. Yay. Yeah, pretty much. It's such weak writing. And then you have the bit where he takes Cora's bending away and this somehow unlocks her ability to airbend, which, by the way, it never made fucking sense that Cora wasn't good at airbending. It was established that the element that an avatar has trouble with is their polar opposite element. So it should have been fire that she had a problem with. But then they change it to, no, 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 it's the opposite of their personality, which makes no sense. I No, I didn't have an issue with that. I thought that it was really interesting that we got to spend so much time on a character learning and struggling with airbending, because that was the only thing we never really got to see Aang learn, because that was the element he had already mastered. You can still show learning it and even having some trouble with it, but the problem is they 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 show that she had no problem learning earth and fire, which makes no fucking sense. In fact, it makes no sense that it shows her earthbending and firebending as a child. That just that was just a stupid idea that started the series off on an awful foot. <laughs> like. No, it's like, I'm just looking at this and I go, honey, no. <laughs> you're you're fucking up your own lore. Like, again, like it was, a, like, keep in mind, it was always established that avatars have trouble with their, with the polar opposite of their native bending art. Um, 
Aang had trouble with Earth, uh, Roku had trouble with water, and I believe in the Kyoshi books, um, it shows she had tr- she had trouble with air. Which I'm actually going to start listening to the audiobook of that very soon. Yeah, I need to. I want to read. I want to read the Kyoshi books because I they, was reading that they're good. Yeah, also more queer Avatar, actual queer Avatar. <laughs> actual 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 not straight writers bending to the will of stupid studios queer character <laughs> i swear i'm not bitter <laughs> okay speaking of twitter drama that you keep starting Ooh. jazzy hi crystal crystal yes are we gonna talk about the pedophile apologist the what <laughs> I'm sorry, the guy who definitely saw and remembered the plot of Licorice Pizza and totally didn't completely make up what happened in that movie when debating it with you. So, this has been a weird week. And I've been really frustrated and uh, due to Twitter stuff. And I also think it has a lot to do with trans misogyny, but obviously they won't ever fucking admit that even though they have their pronouns in their bio and they're so totally an ally. Uh, so... Uh, all right, so I do have some things to say. So a couple days ago, I tweeted out that um, I tweeted out that I thought it was very strange that there's this sort of trend in filmmaking that films get to be uncritical in showing romances and sex between adults and teenagers, and I always found that really weird and uncomfortable, and uh, how often it shows up. And then somebody um, on that tweet asked me to give an example. The first example I can give, and I was honest, I said, based on what I read and saw, licorice pizza has has that sort of thing in it. That's all I said. Um, apparently, Twitter has this thing where people can search up words and find your tweets, which I'm assuming is what happened, or someone retweeted into their sphere, I guess. Either way, um, someone was very mad in trying to tell me that, no, that's not what Licorice Pizza has at all. It's it's not uncritical at all. And uh, was talking down to me. And Lizzie, you helped prove a little bit afterwards that that person was completely wrong. And Full completely- of shit. Full of shit. They actively lied about what happened in that movie, and then they tried to be like, oh, you're right, I, uh, I misremembered the ending. And I'm like, I don't know how you misremember that ending. You misremember <laughs> the ending of a film that you pretend to know so much. I don't even give a fuck about Licorice Pizza. I think what made me even more mad was they <laughs> they quote-tweeted that tweet of mine, right, where I, where I talked about how it makes me uncomfortable, which was the point. Licorice Pizza wasn't even, like, really... It was really just incidental. Point. It was just it, it really an incidental matter. example that is currently in conversation to this issue. That movie specifically isn't really the point. And they quote tweeted me and said um, something along the lines. I don't have the – well, I could read the tweet. Let's see. I think I screenshotted it at some point. If I want to be, like, completely accurate to to what happened, I will find this tweet. And- I will just, I'm going to clarify this. So spoilers for Licorice Pizza, I guess, if you haven't seen it yet. Um, But the plot of Licorice Pizza is about a woman who is 28 years old, who's pretending to be 25, which is a thing they play off as a joke. It's like, ha ha, women be lying about their age, but whatever, I don't care. 
She's 28 years old and a boy who is 15. And critics are praising this movie. And it is oh yeah, I, it's 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 like it, it's like a big con- award contender. And it's not even like I'm I'm not saying this um to like say that you're not allowed to like this movie if you do. There's plenty to like about it. Um it's a very Paul Thomas Anderson film. If you like Paul Thomas Anderson, you'll like it. But like I it's exactly what you said, Priscilla. It very uncritically presents a friends to lovers narrative about these two characters. And no, having like the woman, like the girl spit like like the main female character, Elena, who's played by one of the girls from Heim, uh, like the conflict between their romance and the whole movie is her is in fact her being like, well, no, you're 15, so I'm not going to date you. While consistently being angry and jealous at about it, about it every single time that he actually develops, like has sex with or is romantic with or dates someone his age. Um, and the, the whole narrative arc, like these two, this is a movie about these two people falling in love with each other. And then at the end of the movie, they, there's this a big romantic like running towards each other scene um, where they kiss and she smiles and she happily declares that uh, she's in love with him. This kid is still like 15 or 16 years old at this point in the narrative. Like it, it like that, and that's the happy ending of the movie. What they're the smiling fuck? and they're happy and they're holding hands and they're running off into the sunset. Like that, literally, that's the literal ending of this movie. So like, it, <laughs> this isn't some. This is what, This isn't some interesting mediation on the sometimes complicated and nuanced relationships between adults and teenagers. Cause like, I don't, I am not necessarily of the opinion, especially in like 1972 when the movie is set, I'm not necessarily of the opinion that it's impossible for someone in their twenties and like a, 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 a self-sufficient teenager to have a platonic relationship. Like you can have these complicated relationships between older people and younger people but that's not what this movie was. This movie, like, this was a romance. And it, to pretend otherwise is so disingenuous. And this guy literally lied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think what made it, I think what made this entire situation, like, even worse for me, because I didn't care about the Grish pizza. I really didn't give a fuck. My tweet didn't even mention it. So the original tweet I posted, I said, I find it weird how so many critically acclaimed films feature uncritical depictions of relationships and sex between adults and teens. It's rather uncomfortable. That's all I said. Right. And this asshole (laughs) uh, quote tweeted me. I find it weird how so many neolibs are unwilling to engage with art that honestly betrays the complexities of human interaction because it isn't on Disney+. Plus. It's rather sad. You know, it's funny. My girlfriend and I, for our Valentine's Day, were watching um, Booksmart, and I hadn't watched it in a bit. And there was a scene where I thought something like that was going to happen, where there was a relationship between an adult and a teenager. But then the joke is, is it turns out this guy you think is a teenager was actually held back a grade of quite a couple yeah quite a few times kid, and, was he's, tw- and was 20, he's 20 years old he was tw- <laughs> which i also thought oh, one of the the big writing writing strengths for book smart is the fact that all of, the youngest of those characters is 18 right 
Like this so, is a story about people ranging ages ranging 18, 19, and 20. So it makes it a lot easier to be like, fuck yeah, they're having sex and doing drugs. Right, right. And I and I thought and I thought the kind of short-lived relationship between this twenty this twenty-year-old student and his teacher was actually kind of humorous because it was oddly wholesome. So Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then you have the bit where like she leaves him and then just one student just looks at him and goes, Did you fuck Miss Fine? I yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Which I thought was perfect. <laughs> Book Smart. Um, Book Smart is a wonderful movie. If you have it, if people listening haven't seen it, go fucking watch it. If you want and a really wants- good little little gay. Yeah. Gay it, movie. It's, it's very gay. Yes. Um. Oh, but to finish <laughs> my point. Um. So yeah, sorry. Someone. It's okay. Uh. This person decided to call me one neolib. And two, assumed that I'm a, you know, Disney shill, as they like to say. All because I said that that adult teen sex relationships in films that go uncritical make me uncomfortable. Right. Because obviously that one tweet, you know, like just proves that I can't mentally handle the complexities of film. Oh, and uh, and to top it off, because they quoted me, they had some of their friends in the replies to me. So, so one of them, who they say was a trans trans woman, probably, um, that decided that they were going to imply that because of all this, and because I quote-tweeted them, and because they were getting rightful pu- pushback, that I must have also been partially responsible for what happened to Isabel Fall. Oh, oh my, my god. It's one one of those like escalation overstating of harm type shit. You had an yeah. opinion I don't like, therefore you are Hitler. I don't know. That 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 hurt more cuz like that's like that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um so I've been pretty pissed about it. And then like I've been kind of venting about this whole week about how I really hate the snobbery in supposed film bro culture on twitter um that the idea that you happen to say like a marvel movie or whatever it inherently makes you a lesser person because of it and that you're not mentally able to handle anything i really hate that concept and i see it so often um because i have studied film (laughs) i i i i went to school for it like i know what i'm fucking talking about i'm not an idiot uh so I've been venting about, you know, that. Um, and my venting about how film bros can't literally leave Disney. Disney, like, they look under their bed for Disney at night, essentially. They freak out over anything Disney-related. Um, and I and I have said multiple times how I am, I believe that Disney is an evil corporation. But mm. I also think there are other evil evil corporations you can also talk about. Uh, especially in media, like MGM, Licorice Pizza is owned by MGM, which guess who owns MGM now? Amazon. So there's another evil corporation that you right. can easily, easily bring up. But no, it's always about Disney, and I'm and I'm and there's there's an exploration. I'm wondering that's more complicated that I'm sure about it, um, especially how prevalent trans misogyny and misogyny is within. Uh, the film bro culture um but my my musings on how frustrating this is 
has led to larger Twitter discourse. <laughs> um, so my interaction of someone basically like a, a ta- you know attacking me or you know like saying shit about me that had nothing to do with Disney has led to an entire like it led to like Tony's tweets about Disney and it led to a broader conversation about Disney in general on Twitter because I happened to be attacked and I thought it was really fucking wild. Jeez. It's been a very frustrating week because people have been mistaking like everything I said, like literally someone quote tweeted me and said like where I said that Disney's an evil corporation. And then they said, then they quote tweeted me. And then we're saying that like, I was somehow saying the opposite or that I defended Disney. Like what the hell? <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Ah, uh, so yeah. If, if film bro Twitter can please stop and maybe stop, do some introspective and not be fucking trans misogynistic, that would be wonderful. So, if that, only, if only. Um, so that was my contribution to Twitter discourse this week. So if you saw people talking about Disney, that's my fault. um i don't know i feel like when people talk about disney in this context it has a tendency to be really like unnuanced at all yes it's very you know (laughs) you are you are disney fan that make you bet (laughs) well and especially because like the point tony was making was correct which is that the reason Disney, like, I saw someone being like, no, people's issue, like, people, like, this isn't just about, like, like, when people say Disney adults, we're also talking about, like, the Marvel and the Star Wars. No, you're fucking not. Shut up. When people talk about Disney adults, they're talking about a very specific demographic of generally millennial women. Mm-hmm. White, like, usually white millennial women. But, like, you're talking about a very specific demographic of people. When you say the word Disney adult, you're picturing a 31-year-old hipster in her Minnie Mouse dress, Disney bounding at Disneyland. Like, that's what you're picturing when you say the word Disney adult. You are not, t- you are not thinking about the Marvel fanboys or the Star Wars people. Like, you're just not. And that's not to say that there isn't crossover in those demographics, but that's the people Tony was talking about. So just, like, I don't know. It was a very disingenuous response to what he was saying. Yeah, there was, like, no nuance to that. Like, his whole point was, like, is my whole point. I hate the idea that you can, you feel justified in bullying people, like, for something they enjoy. And, like, I totally understand criticizing calling out Disney. But why, why aim that criticism towards the people who are just trying to find a little bit of happiness in their day-to-day lives? Like, Sure, I'm sure there are some quote-unquote Disney adults that are fucking terrible and toxic, like any fucking fandom. But I, I think, I think when these people hear the word Disney, their mind short circuits and they can't process empathy. So it's a, uh, it's very uh. It's it's, it's a very, very like people have decided that and there's also a tendency I find people want to really understate the in this conversation people love to understate the contributions of Disney as an entity to like 
the history of American animation and American film, like, <laughs> yes, yes, Disney is a shit as a shitty corporation. Um, that is trying to sell our nostalgia back to us for money, and Disney as an entity really only cares about getting money from us. But I don't know. I saw people basically be like, Disney is trying to insert itself as being this, like, important cultural icon to your childhood. And, like, it was. <laughs> Dis- like, like, this isn't, like, the affection people have for Disney isn't manufactured. Mm-hmm. This is an organic thing that happens because this is what people collectively grew up with because Disney made pretty much the greatest entries into anime and into American animation. Like Disney made very, like that's what Disney did. And you're not, you're not going to will, like I'm happy you're a cynical asshole who doesn't give a shit about any of that, but you aren't going to like make people will away their affection for Disney. (laughs) And and the the value like I don't know it's just general like you the gain nothing value part, you yeah. get nothing by attacking the individuals who happen to like the product yeah like attack the the corporation don't attack the people especially for no fucking reason I think that's that's my major point yeah I just mm-hmm. wish people had more empathy about that but they have to pretend that they are the smartest individuals in the room at all time so I don't know. It's fucking wild. Um, so yes, um, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I doubt it. Maybe the trans misog- the misogyny and trans misogyny can end, please. <laughs> At least around this. At or least around like, this, can this stop being a center of conversation? Because Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, and like. Also read tweets before you reply to them or quote tweet them. Reading? What are you talking about? No, but I I I I, call, I didn't I don't hate everyone who watches a Disney product ever. So obviously I'm just a shill for Disney. Like clearly. Even if I clearly state that I think it's an evil corporation, I must just actually be a secretly a uh, 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 Disney shill. It's like, also it'll... just frustrating that you have to put every single time you talk about Disney to put the disclaimer that Disney is a terrible corporation. Like, yeah, nobody, like, you should fucking know that. That should be a given. Can I have a conversation about the art for five seconds, please? And thank you. Yeah, it's, there's like no, it's like that, like, that, that picture of the tweet that goes around. It's like you can tweet, like, one thing and someone's gonna read it. As like something else, like no, that's oh, a different. Oh yeah, the, you you have to respond to my wildly, my wildly least charitable view possible of your, of your point. You have to accept that as valid, even though this is like <laughs> not remotely what you said. Like, <laughs> huh, fucking people are wild. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was very frustrating this week. I was getting very angry. <laughs> Because people just kept misreading what I was saying. You know, like, just fucking read the tweets. I'm very clear. <laughs> so. Also, I tweeted about this, and I also wanted to mention that I think that um, 
if I'm more aggressive about people quote tweeting me or taking screenshots of me, I have a good reason because that is one of the tools of trans misogyny. Um, and the fact that they they want to um, find a way to make us look as terrible as possible so that they can separate us from our community. Um, so that's one of the tools of oppression. So. So, um, lacking a segue, I need to go. So. Yeah. No, no. Um, this is another fun episode. I know you have to. We have to. We have to wrap it up. Uh, but I, I. This is a good enough place to vent, and I'm. I'm so glad that we all enjoyed Scream and talked that out. So that was cool. Yes, I will oh. probably talk about it more soon because I'm about to do a marathon with my with with my friend this weekend again because he hasn't seen any of them and he wants to go oh my to, God. See, to see the new one and i was like okay we gotta watch yeah. them all first <laughs> yes okay, okay. You, then you, next week you'll have to tell us what you think about seeing it for the for the third for the time. fourth time <laughs> the fourth time do we want to just fourth wrap time? this up because i do we want to just do the yes. wrap up because i yeah. need to go too, yeah so. exactly yeah, that's what sure. i was i was segueing um, into <laughs> so you can find me at Twitter on, at Lizzie Lemon Drop. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at The Final Whore, um, where I routinely get people mad at me for saying sexual harassment isn't is bad. Anyway, blasphemy. <laughs> I know. Perish the thought. Um, just because a woman has big boobs from pregnancy doesn't mean that it's okay to make gross comments about it. Yikes. <laughs> Teaser for next week, guys. <laughs> Okay, teaser for next week. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> Jazzy, do you want to plug the stuff? You can find me over at um, Lady Jazzington on Twitter. Same thing on Twitch, though. By the time this episode goes up, there will not be a stream this this weekend, and I will not actually be here for the next episode of Gals because I'm going in for top surgery. So. All right. Yes. Woo. <laughs> so I'll be noticeably absent. I will disappear. Ooh. We'll have a Tata celebration afterwards. Mm-hmm. So um, you'll have to do that TikTok rant without me, Lizzie. I'm sorry to say. Um. Well. Somehow I will live. You're you're just gonna have to listen to it after the fact. I probably will. Don't worry. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. Other than that, you can find me at Jazzy Oliver over on YouTube. And um, my name is Crystal Williams. You can read my articles on Medium. You can also follow me on Twitter, where I get. I get mobbed for no reason. So, um, but Twitter's also a place where I've met some amazing people, including Jazzy here. Hey. Hey. So, and with that being said, thank you for, for listening to another episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. Um, everyone in this room is a whore. Goodbye, everybody. That's my line.